0: pray, Father, we come to you this morning. We're so thankful for your word, the Bible, how we can read it day after day and year after year, and it's always so rich, and it's always so new. Thank you what it does in our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are the resident truth teacher here this morning. We pray that you would teach us what we need to hear this morning. We pray that ultimately we would be changed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We are kindred spirits. He's a brother from another mother. She's my bestie, my BFF, my best friend forever. My bosom buddy, back in the day, they would say, he's my blood brother. All sayings about friends, about friends. Many wonderful acts of friendships in our church over the years. I recall Mark Frost, loving on Bruce Marker in the hospital, pushing him in a wheelchair when he was fighting cancer. Mark Frost being a friend. Dan Breed visiting me in the hospital when I had COVID, when no one else could come and he was persistent and see me. Dan Breed being a friend. Sam Greenlee helping at our store when we were short on employees, how she volunteered to help sell shoes and didn't want to get paid for it. I could go on, and on. miles, Shin, Tom, Jed, just many wonderful examples of friendship in our church. What is the essence of friendship and why is it so important? It transcends ourselves. It gets our eyes off of us and on other people. Helps us forget about our problems, our pains. It's a vehicle that the gifts of the Spirit can work through, which is very important. To be a good friend, we must be selfless which ultimately points to our savior Jesus Christ we all need it we need each other and I am so blessed to be a part of this fellowship J.C. Ryle said on friendship this world is full of sorrow because it's full of sin it's a dark place it's a lonely place It's a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our sorrows and doubles our joys. Title of this sermon is A Friend, a Mediator, a Kingdom Choice. A Friend, a Mediator, a Kingdom Choice from 1 Samuel chapter 20. Of course, this talks about friendship, but there's an overarching theme also in this chapter. And I want to share this with you. The righteous, when the kingdom of the world is revealed, will make an everlasting commitment to the kingdom of God. Keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this chapter. Well, this is a narrative. It's a story with three characters. Yeah, Jonathan, David, and Saul. Jonathan is uh, Saul's oldest son. His name means Jehovah's gift. He was skilled in war and archery. He was loyal, caring, selfless. He was an amazing friend. We're going to see that in this chapter this morning. He's kind of like the the Barnabas of the Old Testament. Just a great guy. There's David. We know more about him. He was a shepherd boy, youngest in the family. Of course, took down Goliath, wrote many of the Psalms, was skilled in war, he was musical, and he was Israel's greatest king. And through his lineage came our Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's Jonathan, there's David, and then there's Saul. Then there's Saul, who was proud. He didn't fully follow the Lord. There was much destruction in his life, and he was power hungry. It was kind of a mess. So just to set the scene, what comes prior to chapter 20, in chapter 18, Jonathan and David become friends, so much so that the Bible tells us that their souls were knit together like tapestry. They were besties. They were bros. Saul was jealous of David because the women in that day used to sing a song that Saul has killed his thousands and David tens of thousands. And Saul was very jealous of David. So much so in chapter 19 that Saul actually tries to kill David. The outline for this sermon in verses one we're going to see the problem that Saul is after David. In verses 5 through 29, the plan, David and Jonathan set up a plan to see Saul's intentions. Verses 30 through 41, the outcome, Jonathan sees Saul as crazy and relays that back to David. And then verse 42, the problem solved and they depart. This is a big chapter we have in front of us. So what I'm going to do is not read it all now, but we're just going to naturally walk through it. We see here in 1 Samuel 1, Then fled from Naath in Ramah, and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done, what is my guilt, and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? see here, David is in a trial. He fears for his life. Trouble. Trouble. You know the song? But he asked three questions. Why, why, why? Why is this happening? What have I done? Is there sin in my life? Just thinking about this, I like this because even though David is in a trial, in trouble. He's looking at his own life. He's examining his life. He's taking spiritual inventory. Is there sin in my life? Is God trying to correct me to get my attention? Even though trials are a bummer, they're a drag, turn them into a positive and use the trial as a, you know, just a way of looking at your life and my life to see if we are in sin because at times God will use trials to get our attention, to get us looking back to him, get us looking back at him. It's a healthy thing to do. Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11.31 but if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But let's be clear here. There is no sin in David's life that we know about from the text. Verse 2, he said to him, so Jonathan says back to David, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. Why should my father hide this from me if not so? But David bowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. A wonderful response from Jonathan. Jonathan willing to walk with his friend David through this trial. It's not always the case, is it? You know, we have our lives, we're living them out, go through trials ourselves, and then we have friends that are dealing with stuff that they go through. You know, they want to come at us and get advice, and it's so easy for us to just, like, not answer the phone or answer the text because, you know, I'm just doing my own thing. I'm dealing with my own trials. I don't want to hear it all the time. But we see here Jonathan as an amazing example. He's willing to walk with his friend David through a trial. Proverbs 17 says, friend loves some of the time. No. A friend loves all the time. So this is an encouragement to me to be a friend, to love at all times, to walk with our friends as they go through trials. So we see the problem. Now the plan in verses 5 through 29. Verse 5 said, David says to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening." If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city. For there is a yearly sacrifice there for all of the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Verse 8, therefore deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father, and John? Far be it from you, if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come, would I not tell you? First thing that jumped out to me in this passage is verse five, talking about the the new moon. It sounded a little strange to me. Are they, all, you know, worshiping the moon and the stars and all that? But according to number ten. This would be a time of family, that the family members would get together, blow trumpets, and offer burnt sacrifices to God. So the plan is when David says, I will miss dining with the king, and we'll see how Saul responds to that. Notice Jonathan's response to David. If Saul, my father, was going to kill you, I would know it would I not tell you? Would I not tell you, David, if I knew about this, that my father was going to kill you? Now at this point in time, I don't think Jonathan knew about these prior circumstances with Saul trying to kill David. But the thought is, if Jonathan knew about this, he was willing to tell David. Another aspect of a good friend is telling the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And I think that's another aspect that challenges us to be friends. We should tell friends, you know, the positive, the negatives, with the idea of building each other up. Because it says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, we are to sharpen one another. We're to keep each other, keep each other accountable. That's one of the membership vow questions. We're to keep the peace and purity of the church. All right, if you see me doing something wrong, not biblical, I should say something. We want to build each other up. That's what we see Jonathan doing with David. Verse ten. Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety." May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Verse 14, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love of my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Notice in verse 13, Jonathan prays for David. His prayer is, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Another wonderful aspect of a friend, a loyal friend like Jonathan was, He prayed for David. How much do you pray for your friends? How much do I pray for my friends? This encourages me to do it all the more. Perry, turn off your car radio. Pray for people during that time. But we also see more in this passage where Jonathan's plea for faithfulness It's not not just a personal kindness, but it acknowledges that the kingdom was now being transferred away from Saul to David. Away from Saul to David. Jonathan sees the big picture. How does this whole thing fit into the gospel message? I'm glad you asked. Jonathan is the Mediator between Saul and David. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. Hebrews tells us that. That Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. If you are here and you're not sure about Christianity or this whole Jesus thing, we'd love to talk with you and explain it more in detail why Jesus is the only way to the father. But here we see a beautiful picture of the greater Jonathan, Jesus Christ being the mediator. In verse 18, then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was at hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them. Then you are come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. Verse 22, But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you. Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken... Behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on a seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, "Mm, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me go away and see my brother's. For this reason, he come to the king's table. So the, the plan is in effect. Saul is fine after the first day. He, David wasn't there because he was unclean. After the second day, he probes a little bit more. Why is David not here? Jonathan explains the whole thing to him, that he's on family sacrifice. Can you feel tension in the room how would Saul respond he's kind of a Dr. Jekyll kind of a guy in the past um, he had a distressing spirit from the Lord and did a lot of crazy stuff and David would have to go in and play his musical instrument to calm him down He's a very erratic, uh, erratic kind of guy, but you would think, he, Saul, here's the whole story, and uh, David's out sacrificing with his family to God, offering burnt sacrifices. Numbers 10, maybe that's a good thing. How would Saul respond? So we go from the problem, the plan to now the outcome in verse 30 then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan he said to him you son of a perverse rebellious woman do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth neither your kingdom shall be established therefore send and bring him to me for he shall surely die then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put him to death. So we see Saul, he goes, The sparks fly. We see Saul calling his son, You son of a female dog, and many others things. Saul wanted to kill David to save his kingdom and he fires a spear Jonathan. It's been said correctly that Saul hurled a spear at Jonathan and missed but Jonathan got the point. Look what Jonathan says. What has David done? What has David done? Uh, nothing really. Can you imagine what Jonathan was feeling in that moment? His best friend being accused of something that he didn't do, yet his father is becoming unhinged again in sin. Very difficult time for Jonathan. But what I like about Jonathan, he's a true friend. Sticking up for David didn't back down to his father, the king. Family can be tough at times. We love them, sometimes there's division. I know when I first got saved, you know, I was going to church. Wednesday nights and Sundays I was reading my Bible all the time I was a new creation in Christ witnessing to people I think I was more loving but then some family members didn't quite understand that aren't you taking this far Bible thumper you're in a cult many other things they said they were unhappy because I wasn't in the church that I was brought up in. But I'm a person now doing all these Godly things. How could you not like that? Maybe they just didn't understand it. That happens. But we have to make sure that we don't let family members take us away from our first love, God. Jesus spoke about this in Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Radical words. What is Jesus saying here? Simply that God must be first and foremost in our lives. What is Jesus not saying here? That we are to hate our family members. What he's saying is our love to God should be so amazing that it seems like everything else is hate. We're not to hate our family members. That would be inconsistent with scripture. Verse 34. Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. He said to his boy, run, find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. Verse 39 But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go, carry them into the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed three times. They kissed one another and wept with one another. David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, between my offspring and your offspring. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went to his own city. The story ends with Jonathan shooting the arrows beyond David as a sign. He's to go. He's in danger. We see the affection, there's bowing down, there's respect, there's kissing. Two friends. Peter Lightheart puts in his book, Unto Me. The Bible usually so succinct tells us about the parting of Jonathan, then David, in considerable detail. The scene lingers on in the pages and in the mind. The two sons of Saul, twins in their devotion to Yahweh, and in their courage, separated. Even in this last major scene, the character of Jonathan glows. He returns to his father's doomed house, virtually disappearing from the text. Not thinking equality with David, something to be grasped, but making himself no account and leaving the stage to another son of Saul. Jonathan teaches us how to be a good friend. Many wonderful characteristics. But he also teaches us how to be a good follower. How does this happen? Because he was so eternally focused on the verse, he was seeking righteousness. He was seeking the everlasting kingdom that because of that right the horizontal is love David because of that. What can we take from this chapter? Number 1 trials will come. Jesus said in John 16:33, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. You're either in a trial or you're coming out of a trial. Use that time to examine yourself. Take spiritual inventory. Number two, a mediator. Jonathan is the mediator between Saul and David. Jesus Christ is the mediator between man and God. But there is a point that Jonathan had to make a choice either to be faithful to David and the eternal kingdom or Saul, and an earthly kingdom. I want to encourage you to trust Christ today. And Jonathan teaches us to be a good friend and a good follower. Number three, we'd all like to be a Jonathan or to have Jonathans in our lives. But we all have feet that are made of clay. Sometimes are just not right There. that would point us to Jesus Christ. He is a friend for us all. In John 15:15, 15, 15, Jesus says to us, "No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you." A friend, a mediator, a kingdom choice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 20. We just pray that you would help us to seek first your kingdom. Anybody hinder us and help us to live out our lives as good friends with one another like we saw with Jonathan loving his friend David. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.